0: So today, and next week, is anti-Jesus, part one and part two, and it's miserable. Life outside of the God who made you, who loves you, who has sacrificed himself for you, who has power over death, who rose again— Who is seated at the right hand of the Almighty God today, Father, Son, and Spirit? If you don't have a relationship with Him, if you don't know Him, what's the point of your life? Why do you live? What's your end? How do you process through the good, the bad, and the ugly of your own circumstances, of your culture's circumstances? Life outside of the God who commanded me to live makes no sense whatsoever. And it's these words that give me a filter to understand what's happened in history, gives me a filter to understand what's going on in our world today, and also gives me an understanding of what's coming and what is coming before Jesus returns is miserable. But in the midst of that misery, there is life, and there is hope, and there is joy. So that depressing introduction, you're going to feel it as we step into, back into Revelation. I've held on to a lot of the imagery in regards to that future interpretation, in regards to all a lot of the definitions that we have, um, they give it. They give us a framework to understand what is being prophesied, what's being predicted about the future, what's being proclaimed about the future. The Bible tells us that the purpose of prophecy, prophecy is so that when. The Almighty God says something, and that event happens in the future, that humanity is left with the declaration, you are God. And we're told in Revelation that the the testimony of Jesus, who Jesus Christ is, it is the breath, it is the life, it is the wind of all prophecy that has been spoken. But when we sit in just the subject matter of the Word of God and its predicti- it, the predictions about the future that it has made, uh, a lot of the imagery is it's pretty complicated, and to really understand the the information that's being conveyed to us in this revelation, this unveiling of Jesus Christ, his plans, his purposes, his will for our life, it takes a lot of harmonizing different passages. What did Ezekiel say? What did Daniel say? What did Jeremiah say? What did, what did Moses say? What did Peter say? What did Paul say? What did John say? And all of these men throughout millennia, as they are being moved by the power and life of God, they are speaking these words. They are pinning these words down for our preservation so that we get to sit in it this morning. In Revelation Chapter 11, we were introduced to these, this fifth and sixth trumpet defined as woes in verse 11, 14. Um, actually, that's the wrong chapter. Where are they introduced? There we go. The fifth trumpet is in chapter 9. That's how far back ago it was. But I want to point this out. In chapter 9, at the sounding of the fifth trumpet, in verse 11, it's talking about this demonic horde that is going to come out of this abyss that is called the bottomless pit. This is important as we transition today. But it says that they have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon. But in Greek, his name, he has the name Apollyon. This is, it means destroyer in both Hebrew and Greek. And again, there's this question, well, who is this angel? Who is the angel of the bottomless pit? And many are going to assign uh, the, the, the character, the individual, that this is Satan, that this is the devil. I don't fully press into that. I think it's a different individual. That is important because in chapter 11 talking about the two witnesses that are going to be in the future that God is going to empower and preserve, and they are going to prophesy in Jerusalem for three and a half years. At the end of that three and a half years, it says in verse 7, when they finish their testimony, that the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them. And this beast that comes out of the same pit that Abaddon is the king of— that this beast is going to be the one who kills the two witnesses. So who's the beast? Is this Satan incarnate? Most sit in the idea that this is the Antichrist, the anti-Jesus. We see from this beast that arises out of the pit, usually there is a, uh, it's identified as Satan. However, once we get into Revelation 17, there is information about this beast that makes it look like that this is in reference to the Antichrist. In chapter 12 that we began last week, starting to sit in a variety of signs, there are seven specific signs that we're in the midst of. This is after the sounding of the seventh trumpet. At the sounding of the seventh trumpet, this future event, that the authority is stripped away from the kingdoms of the world, and the kingdoms of the world now become Jesus' kingdom. We watch this, this war that occurs in heaven. There's this falling, yet at the same time, there is a continuing period of time for another three and a half years where Satan is going to be given the power. This is where the misery is. The power to overcome those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Now we sit in a lot like nobody has victory over me. Death doesn't have victory over me. Death has been swallowed up in the victory that Jesus has provided. There is nothing that can remove me from the love of God. Amen? Even My death does not separate me from the life of God because I have faith in Jesus. Live, right? Live. But here in the midst of the imagery that's being given, there's this woman clothed in the sun with the moon and the feet. Our interpretation is the understanding that this is representative of the nation of Israel, as this woman is revealed, another sign is seen. This is chapter 12, verse 3. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems. These are, this is crowns of authority on his heads. His tail draws a third of the stars of heaven and throws them to the earth. Now, this dragon, in verse 9, it says the great dragon is cast out. There's this war in heaven between Michael, the archangel, and his angels, and Satan, the devil, and his angels. Michael overcomes. This dragon is cast out. And in verse 9, it says that this dragon is the serpent of old, which links us to Genesis 3. The serpent that was in the garden with Adam and Eve, tempting, deceiving, lying, stealing, murdering, because that's what he does. And it says he is called the devil. He is the accuser and the slanderer and Satan, which means adversary. And he is the one who deceives, causes to uh, the whole world to be led astray, to wander away from their creator. This is the, by interpretation, it said the dragon is Satan. Got all this so far? Because now we're going to pick up in chapter 12, verse 13. We're going to read down through chapter 13, verse 10. And we are going to watch what it means to stand in opposition to Jesus, to be anti Jesus. Chapter 12, verse 13. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted, this word literally means to pursue, to hunt. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. So he's persecuting Israel, who gave birth to Jesus, the Messiah. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place. Where she is nourished, she's fed for a time, which is one, and times, which is two, and half a time, so three and a half years, from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. The dragon was enraged with the woman and he went out to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Then I, a better translation is probably then he being the beast stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast, another beast, rising up out of the sea, having said seven hands, Hens, seven heads and 10 horns, and on his horns, 10 crowns. And on his heads, a blasphemous name, which is a name of profanity, something that profanes the name of God. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, And great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months, that same three and a half year period. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war against the saints, Look at this. And to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Sound like good news? Or sound like misery? Like I said, I'm being, I'm being honest. Do you want to live during this period of time? You can sit in history the horrors that human beings have committed against one another. And, uh, you know, we glorify kingdoms and nations of the past who triumphed through war. We look at the mighty Greeks under Alexander and all that he was able to accomplish at roughly 30-plus years of age and offs himself because there's pretty much no more to conquer and we elevate him cuz look at look at the greek culture that was spread that impacts our nation today you go go to washington dc and look at our architecture it is all roman and grecian in its uh, in its construction—you sit in, you know, our constitution, our laws, how we've formed this nation—find their ideologies, its foundation in the Romans and the Greeks of this time. So we elevate these kingdoms that were wicked and vicious and horrific, and we're told that there's coming a day in the future where there's going to be a kingdom that is going to hunt those who believe in Jesus Christ and hunt them to death and be given the authority not only by god but by this adversary this devil this dragon and all of his characteristics to be overcome i can't imagine the horror and again like this kind of it's depressing to me I was telling gordon and nathan this morning i was telling my dad earlier this week like this is not fun to teach it's not fun to study unless I keep my mind and attention on Jesus because there is hope and there's this encouragement of perseverance. What does it mean to persevere in your relationship with Jesus? Not just in this scenario, but in your relationship with Jesus today. Do you feel hunted at all today? Do you feel that anybody is hunting you and persecuting you because you have faith in Jesus Christ? In the church, out of the church, do you feel separated from your peers because you believe in Jesus and they may not or they may claim the name of Jesus but they're not really following. It's Jesus in name only and there's not a real life relationship that's, that's uh, you know, where the spirit of God and his fruit is evident. Does this make sense? It stinks to be ostracized it stinks to be stereotyped, to, place, to be placed in different boxes because of other people's ideas about who Jesus Christ is. But we live in a culture where often a lot of that, that narrative is in ignorance. The text that we're sitting in this morning, this is wide-eyed, full revelation, I hate God. I hate anybody who proclaims his name. That's anti-Jesus. That is anti-Satan. We're talking about a being who was created, just like you and I were created. And from the very beginning, in his pride, he has ruthlessly persecuted and hunted and sought to destroy anything that God loves. So we sit in a lot of imagery. So how are we going to do this? There's a lot of information. So let's back up to in chapter 12 and look at the description that's given of Satan. So you have this dragon, says that he has seven heads and ten horns. And the crowns that the dragon, who is Satan, the crowns that he wears are upon his heads. This imagery of a dragon we see in the Old Testament, uh, this, this beast that's called Leviathan. See it in Job. There's a description in, in Psalms associated with this, this creature, this beast. A Leviathan is this sea creature. In, in, when God created the heavens and the earth in Genesis... You go back, and it has this declaration that the Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the deep. He's hovering over the face of the water. So when God first created the earth, it's, it's covered in water. And it's seen in the, in the imagery that's being given in the, that God is creating an order out of chaos. When you look at the images that we have in regards to the sea, Uh, We may be able to float and glide along the surface of the sea, but it's a very powerful entity. If you've ever gone and just played in the ocean, you have to give that body of water respect because it's chaotic, especially when it's stormy, right? So in the imagery of the Bible, the sea is used for the masses of people. It's used as imagery for chaos. And it's used in this imagery that is God divided the land from the sea, that the land is something that he blessed, that the land was something that he told to produce fruit, that the land, the air, and the sea were parts, the aspect of God's creation that he gave to Adam and Eve to have dominion over, to rule over, to subjugate, to subdue. This this is the, the, the description of God's creating where we live and the role that he gave us to have and immediately there after the creation in genesis 3 you have this serpent this twisting one this deceiver who twists the word of god in a way that adam and eve believed the twisting and we all know what this is like we get the word of god twisted up in our own minds and our hearts the enemy comes and presents different ideas ways to justify what we want to do with our actions This enemy, this accuser, this deceiver comes in in twists. And in the twist, in Adam and Eve's disobedience, their disobedience brings in death. There's now a separation between God and Adam and Eve, God and man. In that twisting, there seems to be a shift of dominion, the dominion that was granted to Adam and Eve through their disobedience. That dominion is now given to Satan and his angels. So that when we sit in the temptation with Jesus, when the same dragon, the same serpent, the same devil, the same Satan comes to Jesus and tempts him, one of the final temptation to Jesus is, bow down before me, Satan, and I will give you all the nations and all of their glory. Jesus responds with the word of God, depart from me, Satan, for God's word tells me that I will serve Yahweh, the God who created the heavens and the earth, and him alone. Satan didn't argue with Satan's claim that he had the authority to give. So when we're sitting in this... this This description of Satan as a dragon and his seven horns, or his seven heads and his ten horns and his crowns that are upon his heads—all of this imagery is in regards to his. It's his character. It is his power. It is his authority. Um, And then we're also going to sit in the imagery that's given in regards to the heads and the horns and all this stuff. There's a blending, and it's very hard to, is this describing Satan? Is this describing the Antichrist, the anti-Jesus? Or is this describing a a government structure? Is this describing a religious structure? And the answer is yes. The The imagery is really hard. So even like when we talk about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we want to separate our God into very distinct categories. Like here's the Father in a physical form, and here's Jesus sitting at the Father's right hand in some physical form, and here's the Spirit in some physical form. There's no delineation in God. Our God is one God, and he's revealed himself in three persons in this perfect harmony. So when we sit in the anti-Jesus... Satan presents himself in everything, in, in every way as an opposing counterfeit to the Almighty God. Satan attempting to exalt himself as God the Father, granting authority to his anointed one, his empowered one, the Antichrist. And next week we'll sit in this information in regards to the false prophet. All right. You hanging with me? There's a lot of information. Uh, Verse 13 of chapter 12. So when the dragon, he is cast out of heaven. We are already given the testimony in uh, verse 11 that we, we overcome this being. We overcome the devil. We overcome the dragon, Satan, the serpent. All these titles are the same for this, uh, the names for the same individual. We overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that is how we overcome this individual who has a tremendous amount of true power. We overcome him by the word of our testimony, whether that is the very word of God and what his, it has to say, and your own personal testimony and experience in regards to who Jesus has revealed himself to be in truth to you, how he has verified the truth of his word to you over time that causes you to have confidence that what he speaks about the future, I am sure this is my hope in him that there is coming a day when I am going to stand before, in the presence of my God face-to-face, and I'm going to be just like him with his life, with his glory, because that is what he has promised to give to me and to you and every believer in Jesus for all eternity. That hope is what purifies us today as we sit in a culture that stands in great opposition. And not only the blood of the Lamb and our testimony in regards to our hope and confidence in Jesus— But Blake, don't love your life even to the death. If somebody stands before you and tells you to deny God, even if it costs you your life, you're still victorious in Jesus. There's this woe pronounced to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea why because the devil has come down having great wrath and he knows he has just a little bit of time all of this uh, so daniel chapter 9 gives us this seven year prophetic period of time up until chapter 11 has been the first three and a half years where we have uh, that being defined by the two witnesses that prophesied for three and a half years At the middle of that event, we are told that the Antichrist is going to go into the temple of God and declare himself to be God. All this worship of him that we see, that's in the middle. So now we're starting to press into as Satan is cast out of heaven, he is cast to the earth, he is going to hunt humans, specifically those who look to faith in the Almighty God. For three and a half years, this is the authority that's given to him. So the dragon, he has seen that he has been cast to the earth. He persecutes and hunts the woman, the male child. But the woman, this imagery, the woman, Israel, is given two wings of a great eagle. Now, somebody said like back in the 70s, and now every commentator has to say it today, that this may be military planes that are going to transport the Jews out of out of Israel to a safe place in the in the wilderness, and America has uh, as one of our um, you know our national figure is the eagle. So therefore, here is America stepping in and delivering the Jews out of the per- just insanity to me. That's not what it's saying. As the nation of Israel was freed from their slavery in Egypt. And a lot of the imagery that we are dealing with, a lot of the plagues is sitting in that imagery as God comes and demonstrates himself to be the sovereign God in opposition to the gods of the nation of Egypt, the false gods, the false idols. God delivers his children out of that slavery through, it says, an outstretch. Right, he demonstrates his mighty power when he brings them to the foot of his mountain, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, God tells the nation of Israel, I have brought you out of the nation of Egypt and have brought you to myself and borne you upon eagle's wings. The declaration that's being given to us here in the future, and Jesus describes this day in Matthew chapter 24, That when you watch, when you see the abomination of desolation that Daniel speaks about, so when Satan goes in, when the Antichrist goes in, declares himself to be God, when you see that event, Israel, run. And this is the running. This is the fleeing. And we see just the same divine protection that God gave to the nation of Israel as they left Egypt, this is the same divine protection that is going to be upon the nation of Israel in the future at this time. He is going to lead them to her place. And again, I mentioned last week in the area of Jordan. Most believe it's in the, around the area of Petra. Uh, there's, we hold that loosely, but somewhere out in the wilderness, God has a place prepared where she shall be fed. What did God, how did God feed the nation of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness? Manna. What does manna mean? What is it? I don't know. It tastes good for a while, but then we get sick of manna every single day. And then they started complaining. Remember the stories? It's the exact same, what God did in history. Again, he did it so that we know that he's God so that we can trust him today, so that we believe him for his promises for the future. There is coming a day of persecution. There is coming a day of hatred. And God says, trust me. And even on this day, in Zechariah 13, tells us that this event, two-thirds of the nation of Israel is going to die. One-third will be a remnant. It's this, it's this mixture of good news and bad news all at the same time. And again, the, the depressing thing is you don't have to sit in your misery. You don't have to sit in your change. You don't have to sit in your sin. I mean, I'm preaching this to myself. I don't, I don't have to sit in anything other than Jesus. I don't have to sit in my depression, my despair, my culture, any other narrative. I, I don't have to listen to anything. I get to sit in the narrative. Look at my God. Even if I die, it's gain. Why? Because I will be immediately in his presence, in the presence of the one who I long to see. We all long to be free from this body of sin, oh, wretched man that I am. But the hope that he's given to us, why am I still here today? Because he has a will for my life. And that will is ultimately to be a light to this world. The Jews will be a light in the future. We are told that those who are born on these, um, these eagles' wings under the divine protection of God, that this is going to be the day when you look at all Israel will be saved. Paul gives us that hope in Romans. So you go sit in Romans 10, 9, 10, and 11. The, the hope that Paul had for his countrymen and for his countrywomen, he knew that there is a day in the future When the nation of Israel as a whole is going to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Here's that day. Great hope in the future. But at the same time, lots of misery to get to that point fleeing for the presence of the serpent. I don't, I don't understand uh, the reality of this. How is the serpent, Satan, going to spew water out of his mouth like a flood, and then the earth is going to open up and swallow up that flood, and Israel will be protected? Do you understand that imagery? I can, I can understand the imagery, but like, is there, is there a literal declaration? Is he really going to have water that's going to flow out of his mouth? You know, What does that mean? Don't know. We'll see what happens in the future. But ultimately, what is Satan trying to do? He is attempting to exterminate the Jews. So as they are fleeing, he is hunting them. He is persecuting them, whether it's with words out of his mouth, whether it's with war, whether it's a specific flood of water that is chasing and hunting down the Jews as they are fleeing. There's this... There's this um, Divine intervention from God, from the land out of which we were taken. Right, out of dust we were formed. Here, the land opens up, up opens up, and swallows up this attack against God's kids. And again, even you said in First Corinthians 15:54, this is that proclamation that death is swallowed up in victory. And here, death is coming after God's kids. And that death that was hunting them is swallowed up in the victory that God has provided. And again, this is a, we can sit in the future fulfillment and understanding of these things, and then we can sit and what does that declare about our God to us today? The dragon says that he is enraged, filled with anger, filled with rage at God. We sat in Psalm 2 last week. Why do the nations rage? It's the heart of Satan in the nations. He is not able to have victory in this moment, so he turns from pursuing the Jews because they're being divinely protected here. And what does he do? He turns his attention to go and make war with the offspring of Israel and this is seen, again, by interpretation that this would be those who have turned their attention, turned their faith, bent the knee, bent the mind, bent the heart to trust in Jesus as Savior in this time. And here's Satan's hunt- hunting them. Now this imagery. So you have standing on the seashore. More than likely, this is, it's, uh, again, my translation says I, so it'd be John standing on the seashore. Uh, other other transcripts say he depending on what Bible you're reading out. So Satan's standing on the seashore and he sees this beast that's rising up out of the sea. This beast has seven heads. So Satan, the dragon, has seven heads. This beast has ten horns. Satan, the dragon, has ten horns. Satan's crowns are on his seven heads. This beast, his crowns are on the ten horns. We're very clearly given the description that these are two different entities, right? You have the dragon and you have the beast. The dragon is giving authority to the beast. So now, you, again, there's the, there's this blurring that's going on later on in revelation we are very in revelation 17 it's very clearly defines the heads of these beasts represent kingdoms so there are in revelation 17 there's there's five kingdoms that already were at john's time there's one that is and there's one that's coming in the future is the description that's being given so the five kingdoms that were in order are Egypt. Assyria, Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire, and the Grecian Empire. Those are the five kingdoms that were, five of the heads. The one head that is, at John's time, is the empire of Rome. Rome has since collapsed, and we are told that there is a future formation, a future revival of an imperial form of government. So when you sit in this futurist interpretation, you're gonna read often that, that this is describing the revived Roman Empire and all of the imagery and pageantry and all that's associated with it. So again, you have to kind of remember where we're sitting at in Revelation. Our understanding is that God has snatched the church out of this world and the church is dwelling with God in heaven prior to the events that are being described in Revelation. What kind of upheaval would that event cause in humanity, in governments, in economy, in religion? Tremendous impact. You have to sit in the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments that have already occurred and all of that information that has been described to have happened. The world will look and be in a structure and a form that is very unfamiliar to us today. But the description that's being given is at that time, prior to the beginning of this seven-year period, we're told that this, this Antichrist is going to have a covenant of peace with the nation of Israel. And that's going to be the marker of the beginning of this final seven years. So whatever that structure looks like, in government structure, in economic structure, in religious structure, it's under the authority of this individual. And this individual is going to be exalted. He is going to be praised. We even sit in the politics of the day. So often we are looking for an individual to come in and stand for God and stand for Jesus and set us on the right course, right? Has that happened to you yet? Is any man or woman you've elected to any political office, have they ever brought Jesus? They may be serving Jesus, but have they ever brought Jesus' kingdom? I told her that the kingdoms of this world, including the United States of America, they are subject to the authority of this deceiving and lying one. And we are dependent upon the witness and the truth of who God is, who the Messiah is. Daniel tells us that it's this mountain... Again, these these words are going to be used in Revelation, but the mountain that Daniel saw that was carved out without man's hands, this mountain is defined as Jesus' kingdom, his eternal kingdom, and it is going to destroy all other kingdoms. The ones, you know, the five that already have been, now the six that already have been, there's a seventh that is coming, Jesus' kingdom is going to destroy that. So when you look at this description of the beast... It is seen as, one, talking about this future imperial government that is going to be on the scene at that time. And it is also seen as the individual that heads up that government being the Antichrist, who we are going to sit with the title Anti-Jesus this morning. Look, on his heads. So you sit on every single one of these governments stands with titles of blasphemy, titles of profanity against God who created the heavens and the earth. So what it's speaking about is all the idolatry. You go sit in the gods of Egypt, the gods of Assyria, the gods of Babylon, the gods of The Medo Persian Empire, the gods of the Grecian Empire, the gods of the Roman Empire. Go sit in all of that mythology. Go sit in the cultures. Go sit with the emperors who declared themselves to be God incarnate and demanded to be worshiped as God, whether it was in Rome or whether it was in Egypt and everything in between. Their heads. It's, it's this stone head of blasphemy and profanity against the God who created the heavens and the earth. Again, we, we can be stiff-necked and have those titles and those words of profanity written upon us in rebellion against God. What are we told when we, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ? Man, I'm given a new name. I blasphemed God's name. I've profaned his name. I've had the heart and mind of Satan. And look at the life that he's given to me. Like, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm created. And I'm loved. And I've been hunted by God. And the one that, the one that wants to hunt me and destroy me, the one that came to Job... And is looking at God and says, God, if you take away all your blessings from Job, he'll curse you to your face. That's what Satan wants you and me to do. I want to I strip you of all of your hope. I want to strip you of all of your confidence. And I want you to feel like God hates you. I want you to feel like your creator has abandoned you. So that you can stand before God. And you say, God, you are false. That's the temptation of Satan. And sometimes we listen to it. God, you don't love me. You don't care for me. You're not listening to me. Where are you? Those are all lies. And he's given us this information so that we can have confidence even in the midst of a horrific scenario in life. The beast is given this description not only of the heads and the horns and the crowns, But he's given this description as a leopard and as a bear and as a lion. In Daniel's vision that he has in Daniel chapter 7, the lion represents the kingdom of Babylon. The bear represents the kingdom of Medo-Persia. And the leopard represents the kingdom of, of, um, of Greece. And the fourth beast that Daniel sees represents the Roman Empire, which isn't given a physical beastly description. So when we sit in this imagery here, as as God is giving John this vision, he is giving John, here here is a conglomerate, a unity of all of these different nations, regardless of the forms that they have taken throughout history. Here is how they are imaging opposition to his king. That's the imagery that is being used and given, taken out of Daniel. Now, yeah, we're going to have to do anti-Jesus part one, part two, and part three, because we're not going to get through the rest of this imagery. We're going to back up into 13 next week. But let's end in the mission, the, the, uh, the, mission, the message of hope at the end. So uh, that last verse that we read through, those last couple verses, verse 9 of chapter 13. So if anyone has an ear, let him hear. This was a repetitious encouragement. In chapters 2 and 3, just if anyone, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches was used seven times. In chapters 2 and 3 is Jesus has specific messages to those congregations. And here, notably, the word church is missing because, again, at this time, the church has been removed. Yes, there are believers. There are those who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, but he has snatched his church to himself. But here at this point in future history, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. And how do, how, how do these words, think, of, think about these, this sentence, and I'm asking you the question, how does it bring comfort and hope and joy in Jesus? So he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. And then we're given this definition here is the patience the steadfast endurance and the faith of the saints how many of you have a problem when evil triumphs do you have do you have a problem with a life being executed in the womb of a mother i don't know where alice just went but we had a baby shower yesterday She's got this big old pregnant belly. It's awesome. There is a life that God created that he is forming, that he has knitted, that he has placed Daniel's name in his book of life before he ever spoke the words, let there be light. Do you have a problem when that life is exterminated? I do. Do you have a problem when people use a race a religion as as an object of hatred do do you have a problem when you hear the words that anybody who is a muslim that they are the object of god's hate and we like we sit in we sit in terrorism we sit in these fights of the nation we know where a lot of this language comes from you know um, people who have true hatred who are anti Jesus who use other people as pawns but what's God's heart to every single one of those souls I created them to have my life so how do we overcome We're told like here here is your patience. Here's your endurance. Here's your faith. And it comes back to, who is your Jesus? Does he love the abortionist? Does he love the Republican and the Democrat? Does he love the Iranian, the Chinese, the North Korean? Does he love those who identify themselves as Palestinians, Hamas, Syria, England, even the English? Jesus loves. Again, this is what like you have to sit in the narrative of God's story, past, present, and future as your first filter before you attempt to sit in any other information. We sit in a time, in in a culture, where if you make a mistake, it is off with your head. What does Jesus say about you and your mistakes? Come talk to me. Let's have a conversation. What do I say, he says. And confession Is I say what you say, Jesus. Jesus, you tell me that out of every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue, every people will be represented in your eternal kingdom who made the choice to love you rather than be in opposition to you. Do you believe that? That's, a, that's the only reason, in my opinion, that any of us are still here today and Jesus hasn't come back because there are more people that need to step into his kingdom. Oh, yes, we are growing in our knowledge of him and experience of him and trusting him and being refined by him, having a relationship with him, all, the, all those wonderful life experiences that you get to have with him as an individual, absolutely. The reason why the church is here remaining today is so that we can be love and light and hope and the message that proceeds from our mouth, it's not a flood of cursing the darkness. It's a flood of praying for our enemies, going that extra mile, That person who drives you nuts, who you really want to hate in the flesh, that Jesus is telling you to love them, to serve them, to wash their feet, to keep your mouth shut. I'm preaching to myself right now, just so you know. I sit in with Jesus in the gospels. I want to be compassionate like him. How many of you want to go up to a dirty person and touch them? And you can define dirty physically, mentally, spiritually. You can define that how you want. There's an ooh factor. Then I watch our Savior place his hand on a wretched leper and declare him to be clean and whole. That's our Jesus. I watch our Jesus not condemn a whore but to restore her I watched Jesus being patient with Moses a murderer David an adulterer and a murderer but the nation of Israel as they complained against God constantly turned to idolatry constantly God used these wicked nations to discipline them all for the purpose of revealing himself to individuals and peoples all throughout history. I have great confidence that God wants me to see him today. I have great confidence that God wants you to see him today. Not as you think he is, but in truth. The people of the future who worship Satan and worship the Antichrist, they're going to use this sentence, who is like? the dragon and it's anti-jesus it mocks god because the bible asks that question over and over again who is like yahweh who is like this being that spoke light who is like this being that can say to the valley of dry bones the nation of israel is dead and dry bones and breathes life into death only jesus Father, we love you tremendously. Your word often is sobering, and it, it shakes me to my core, Lord. It shakes away all the, the, the side issues, and it leaves me with you. I either believe the lies in regards to whether it's from Satan or the culture, that you're, that you're not good, that you're evil, if God really existed, then why does this occur? Or I sit in your revealed truth that you have had a plan from the very beginning to give to me and to anyone who comes to you in faith. Your plan is to give me your life and to share your life with us for all eternity. I believe that. That is my hope, that is my confidence. And I'm asking you for forgiveness for me, Lord, for when I wander, when I sit in deception, when I sit in lies, when I turn aside and I complain. You are good and I believe that you were patient you were steadfast you were worthy of my trust i'm asking lord that you would overcome my soul with your love and that you would allow my love your love to to flow out of me lord in a way that overcomes anybody's objection if they're standing in opposition to you those that we read about, Lord, who to believe in Satan and, and, and his lies, it doesn't have to be. And that's the misery, Lord. But the hope is if they hear your message, if they see you, if they see you, if they love you, if they yield to you, your life is granted to them. Let it be so. Add to your church today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.